What's going on? Welcome to KZ1023's Community Beat, a new podcast hosted by myself, Ross Martinez. Each episode, we take a deep dive look into members of our community, the accomplishments, the trauma, the mentors, all of it. I hope this brings light to all the great things going on in our community. Yes, at times, it may be difficult to hear, and some episodes will have some spicy language, but please don't be deterred. There's so much beauty in our stories. All right? Let's get the KZ's community beat. Thank you for listening. Um, and shootings. We had 143 people shot in 2021. Uh, Ross Martinez here with uh, the all-new KZ1023 number one for throwbacks. Talking to Becky Rossum of PCAV, Peoria Community Against Violence. We met uh, digitally VI Kendall Johnson, a forward movement, amazing conversation we had. He was like, you have to talk to Becky. You have to talk to Becky. Then I went to talk to three other people here in the building. And the sa- this is the same thing they all told me. They said, Becky is a badass. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> Why is that funny? Well, I'm actually wearing a bracelet one of my girlfriends gave me that means badass. <laughs> <laughs> so in your most humblest opinions, what makes you a badass? Um, I don't know. I don't know why people think that. Probably because I'm usually not afraid to speak my mind and stand up for others, regardless of how what light it puts me in. That's good. So you have a voice and you feel it's useful to use that to help those without a voice. Absolutely. Unfortunately, you know, I worked on the south end of Peoria for eight years in Neighborhood House, and I saw how the resources kept getting taken away. And every time there's something controversial, they want to put it on the south end, whether it was halfway houses, which I do think that those are needed. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, taking away everything from initially they took away one of the firehouses. Um, They did rebuild it up on Western, but that was an issue because the south end had the the most house fires in the community. Now, I have to ask this, just as a person-to-person, how do you deal with seeing a lot of this? Because it has to take a toll on you at some point. Yeah. Right? So how do you deal with seeing that on a day-to-day basis? It can be really hard, um, but it really puts things in perspective. How so? I don't sweat the small stuff. Like, there are big problems in the world. Like, once I would go to work, I'd realize that there are people who had a lot more um, needs than I did. Um. And then also there's so many helpers in the community. And it's funny, I kind of go back to, you know, Mr. Rogers. Yeah. You know, he was talking about when he was talking to his mom when he was young and he was like talking about the news and all the negativity. And she's like, but look, there are always helpers around. And I just had a great conversation with Carl Holloway yesterday. And he was like, he told me that I inspire him to keep going, but he's one of my inspirations to keep going as well because Hmm. he's in the trenches and has been doing what he's been doing for like four years, um, volunteering to keep kids, you know, going on the right path. Carl, that might be somebody I have to talk to next. Oh, you huh? need to talk to Carl Holloway. Yeah, well, I'll get some names from you at the end <laughs> of this podcast. So as you're seeing and you're developing and you're growing, not only with the community, but as an individual, you've seen all the places in our community that we don't have the proper support. Yes. How do you feel that we could do a better job as a community, helping other people in need? Well, we are a very resource-rich community. However, what I have found is the people who need the resources the most don't have don't know how to access them, or mm-hmm. they lack. Um, they have a lot of barriers. Transportation. They can't get off work in the middle of the day when certain programs are open. You know, making things just more accessible to everyone would be huge. Um, when I was at Neighborhood House, we collaborated with a lot of organizations. We had, I think, um, 29 organizations operating inside of our building because we weren't gatekeepers. Really? And then we were in 13 other organizations, feeding people and doing employment and just those partnerships. Holy wow. That's, but now, that's a lot. But since I've been at PCAV, and, and at Neighborhood House, we had 12 businesses under one umbrella. Um, so a lot of just 
authentic partnerships through that. But since I've been at PCAB, I mean, I've been able to use my connections to develop more resources for um, victims and perpetrators of gun violence. But I'm finding that people, it's more competitive than collaborative. And that is really interesting because I have a very different view of Peoria in this position than I did when I was at Neighborhood House. Can you elaborate more on that? Because that's very interesting you saying that. It's almost like people working in silos. And some of it I can almost see why because when someone has an idea people are trying to replicate it and most people are pretty open like hey come join us we can use more people or there's some services that do need to be replicated because the need like we could use five other pcavs in town because we can't meet the capacity of all the people that's been affected by gun violence so we're using a lot of volunteers and working with other partners but a lot of people they're kind of worried about that or if they see us as competition then they actually kind of downplay some of our services. And I've seen that done with other services, which I think is very disheartening because in the end, it's not hurting me. It's hurting the people we serve. And these are nonprofits, right? Non-for-profits? Some nonprofits, some just community members. Um, You wouldn't think there'd be competition in the helping spectrum of things. You know what I mean? I think it's because a lot of things are tied back to dollars. And right now, Um, Peoria is a cash cow because of the amount of poverty and gun violence. So we did have the South End, 61605, was the second poorest zip code in the state. And that includes Cook County. Now I think it's up to the sixth. And then 03 is like the 22nd. So there's all of these funding dollars. And I feel like everyone's just all of a sudden creating new programs they've never done before and chasing the money. That's not even part of the mission of their organization. Um, We're just kind of stepping back and doing what we do and finding the people who are helping. I mean, for example, like Carl Holloway and Hetty Elliott, they've been in the community doing so much as volunteers and doing their own fundraising, and they're going to be here long after this money's gone. Two people I'm definitely talking to. I've heard of Hetty. I need to get in contact with her. Now, PCAF, Peoria Community Against Violence. How did you get a part of PCAF? So when I was at Neighborhood House, um, one of my drivers was killed. My condolences. And he was amazing. So his name was Hayward, and he was a um, part-time Meals on Wheels driver in his 60s, you know, like six foot four, full of life. Everybody loved him. Um, he got gout really bad, and he could no longer walk to deliver the meals and drive. So unfortunately, um, he had to start selling drugs and that led to him getting killed and that's not who he was but a lot of the people i work with at pcav they they tell me they're like there's just not enough resources they have to feed their kids you know at the end of the day they got to do what they got to do um i'm not saying i condone that but i do understand that so i spoke at his vigil so pcav's done a lot of different things and it's short history since 2014 um and that's part of my interest as well so I mentored at Quest for three years, and some of the young men um, had a loss of hope. Heard that a lot at Neighborhood House. Kids dropping out of school, running the streets, and they're like, well, when you don't expect to live past 20, why am I going to do these things I don't want to do? You know, it's really hard for them to see a future because that's all they knew. Um, So that loss of hope kind of stuck with me, and a lot of my staff and my friends were affected by gun violence and my clients. So I wanted to see if I could help make PCAB a go. Mm-hmm. Because they've had, um, you know, they've done great things in the past. They respond to homicides, but they've changed depending on the leadership. And for an organization to be sustainable, you can't just change what you're doing with the wind, right? That's so true. you need to figure out who you want to serve, how you want to serve them, and then build upon that. When um, when I reached out to you initially for an interview and sit down and just uh, get to know each other, you were in the hospital. 
Uh, there was a shooting that just happened. I yeah. feel like every other day there is a shooting in town. From somebody that has been in the trenches for years doing help, helping the community, what are some things you see that need to be corrected in order for us to start mending as a community rather than just reactionary to the violence? I'm glad you said that. You know, a lot of people, our name kind of throws people off. Against mm-hmm. violence, I think we do, we're a lot more proactive. We are reactive. And by default, some of our programs are um, interventions. But I think really coming together, um, I would say the last couple of years, you know, there's a lot of division around race. A lot of division. Um, right? Yeah. It's always been there. But like I said, my perspective at Neighborhood House was a lot different than coming here. Um, I think asking people what they want, you know. At Neighborhood House, I saw all of these um, organizations fly by night. They'd come through, and they had all these grandiose plans for the south end. But they weren't really asking the residents, what do you want? Like, you can have Hmm. the best programs in the world, but if no one's going to come to them, they're not going to be sustainable. So I think really having a thorough understanding um, and not being too far removed from the people that you're serving really developing and maintaining those relationships, right? Because programs need to be relevant. Yeah, they do. And then really breaking down um, barriers. I mean, there's some great things in theory around here where you have um, the Wraparound Center, which I love the theory. The Wraparound Center. So that's at Tree Wind. Tree Wind, okay. And I love it because it's supposed to be like a one-stop shop. But the problem is the nonprofits lack staffing and capacity right now to even fill the positions they have. Mm-hmm. So when I was at Neighborhood House, we're like, well, we can send our employment and GDED person over there like two hours on a Tuesday, you know, two hours on a Thursday, but that means the families have to keep coming back. Okay. So I like that in theory, but finding a way to make it more um, accessible for families. Relatable accessibility. Because uh, there was a story, I remember when I was talking to Kendall last episode, he was talking about how when he was in prison um, and he went through the GED program, some of the people he was close with would ask him to come and sit into the program and that, you know, they weren't getting it. There was a, a lesson they weren't getting, but he broke it down in a relatable subcontext for them to understand fractions and all this. And then they got it. Yeah. So he spoke very much about how it's not just the message, it's the delivery of it, the verbiage, how the relatability. So how can we as a community be more relatable to people that are suffering? that are victims of violence, that do not have the resources we have on everyday citizen? I think people just have to be authentic. You know, um, people realize that people are being, you know, who they are or who they aren't, right? I think authenticity and then really caring and consistency. So I cannot even tell you how many times people said, um, no one's going to relate to you in this position because you're white. And not one of my clients has ever said I couldn't come in their house. Not one of them has, um, you know, denied any resources for that. In fact, I had a few with all the violence going on in the community. They reach back out to me and they'll text me. They'll be like, we're watching the news, Becky. Are you okay? I mean, just building those relationships and. um, Eliminating fear. Yes. I keep throwing it back to Kendall because it's such a great episode. He let us hear, but he thought that. disconnect is that there was a lot of fear i think there is there's fear from a lot of different vantage points so when developing some of these relationships i didn't realize i had a couple of families who didn't want me to come to their home Mm -hmm. and we had a great relationship and finally they were honest and said well becky i'm worried you're going to have to call dcfs i know you're a mandated reporter 
what it was is we have so many slumlords in this community. Really? So, so they're paying $900 a month as the average for a two-bedroom on the south end. Or That's the Chicago Bluff. prices. It, it is. It's Prices are just, you know, it's it's so expensive to be poor. But the, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> people don't understand that unless you're poor yeah. or you've been poor. But um, <laughs> Functioning poor is like a new term nowadays. Right? And it's yeah. so true. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I had a couple of families and they were just worried because they didn't have running water. Their outlets had been burnt out. And I told them, I said, I may be a mandated reporter, but you're not abusing or neglecting your children. Yeah. You're advocating for them and you can't help that you don't have the resources to get these things fixed. So then I try to connect them with the city to make sure, you know, building those relationships. Yeah. You know, um, the city has programs for that where they can move people into other houses and they can, you know, hold those landlords accountable. Although some of the laws, I don't know if they're called laws, some of the things have changed. So 10, 15 years ago, they actually used to throw these landlords in jail for the weekend. So people would end up paying. Really? Well, now it's, they just fine them. And you can be fined a million dollars, and there's no the no consequence. Yeah. So if whether they pay it or not, whether they fix it or not, so unfortunately, there's no accountability for some of the things going on in the community, which is really um, affecting who we work with because huh. poverty and gun violence are directly correlated. Yeah. Having a lack of resources, the families, same families, are getting hit over and over. Um, it was one of my friends on scene the other night, whose grandson was shot and she had oh. lost three nephews in like the last year and a half like a dose of praise to the family that's but but it is it's just hitting the same you know we work with one family who've lost 13 men in the last three years three by natural consequences natural uh, causes causes yes yes causes 13 yeah we are in an epidemic of violence it's been do you feel like it's it's gotten worse or it's, we're just adding more visibility to it now it's definitely gotten worse, so obviously nationally as well as locally. Um, in 2019, we had enough homicides to make us the 15th deadliest city in the nation. Peoria. Peoria. Wow. And that was just based on per capita. Well, in 2021, we had a 40% jump from that. We had our highest amount 41? of... Highest amount of homicides in 2021 um, and shootings. We had 143 people shot in 2021. And how more people aren't outraged and talking about this, yeah. I, it just boggles my mind. Like, I go to city council meetings, I go to other areas, and there's not a lot of um, people, you know, Uproar. that seem, yeah, there needs to be more, right? How do we, how do we get that? How do we get to the point of where we are disconnected, the everyday citizen that may hear it on, let's say, week 25, right? Or may hear it on any other station here, but there's no proactiveness to it there's no i need to assert my voice and help the community how do we get them how do we get them invested into combating violence gun crimes just being a communal person well i think that's the million dollar question so (laughs) that's why they're paying medium dollars here (laughs) becky come on (laughs) you need a raise because that is the right question to ask and i've been going you know trying to think through this myself because every time i have a conversation with someone they say the conversation is very enlightening. They just had no idea. And part of it's become normal place. You know, Hetty and I were talking about yesterday, and she's like, it's just like commonplace now because it's happening so often. I mean, to your point, like every two and a half days, someone is shot. Yeah. Um, Since I moved here in April, I've seen like every couple of days, there's a person missing, gun crime, XYZ. There was a big shooting that happened not too long ago. I don't know how much we could get into that at all. Um, but just every day, there's something. 
Well, and it's hard It's hard to rally. Um, so the community that we work with the most, they are in constant crisis. You know, poverty, they don't know how they're going to feed their kids. A lot of them are couch surfing. They don't have stable housing. They can't go and, um, you know, come together yeah. with this movement. So I mentioned when the four house on the south end was going to be taken, the firehouse. There was also one in Dunlap. Those were the two on the chopping block when some stuff was going on in the city. Dunlap community rallied around theirs, and theirs was saved. Now, Four House was only shut down for a couple of weeks, and then it actually, you know, got reopened. But I'm like, how is it that the place with the most house fires, more than all the other districts combined, are losing theirs? Yeah. And it's just people don't have the time and the capacity to come together. So I think we need other people in the community to stand up for, I mean, it's the right thing to do. Yeah, on a human level, just to give a damn about the person that is across from you, next to you, behind you, whatever, just caring. Yes. It's not asking too much to be like, all right, they're going through something. Whether it's just giving them the ear or five bucks, <laughs> you know what I mean? Whatever it is, Yep. it's something. Hmm. And young people are paying attention. I took a few of my kids to a Chiefs game this summer, mm-hmm. and I take them with me to some different places, and I went to pick one up who he was shot last year when he was 13. And he's, 13. And he was sitting on the porch with two of my other kids that were 13 and 14 that I met because their 16-year-old brother was shot. So we go to the Chiefs game. They'd never been to a baseball game. Great kids. Um, they sat there the whole time, ha- had a great time, but on the way back, we had a great conversation. So the 13-year-old asked me, he's like, Becky, did you see the article that said Peoria is the best pl- one of the best places to live? And oh, by also- BuzzFeed? Yes. Yeah, I know the article. And then they all started talking about, you know, it's really not. So we had to have the conversation. I said, well, if you're not white or affluent that you're absolutely right. Um, so we have these, I have these deep conversations with these kids and we're 13, 14, 13 and 14. They're paying attention to what's going on in this community. Yeah. Um, you know, they're, I don't know. There's just a lot more that needs to be done. I can see you frustrated. I'm I am frustrated. I, I'm I like, can tell. How people don't care, you know, about, about these topics or they say they care, but you know, they'll care to share on Facebook, but that's about it. Yeah. Uh, we need more than just a share or a like or a heart. We need you to boots on the ground, help out. So what are some things you offer specifically for the community at PCAF? Okay. So to access our resources, um, you need to be either have multi-victimization, which could be domestic violence, stabbings, all these other things, or um, gun violence. So if your house, car gets shot up or, or someone in your family has been shot. Mm-hmm. So we partner with... a probably 100 community resources because we can't be everything to everyone. Um, And it just depends. So if it's a homicide, usually we work with a family to help them find um, burial resources through it could be um, public benefit. So if they're on TANF, there's a little bit of money for that. Um, Southside Mission had some plots. The coroner's office is great about working with us if we need, um, fortunately for children. You know, they'll do like wooden, they can get wooden caskets from monks. So it's like everybody has all these resources, right? Yeah. and then we work with, we write letters to creditors, landlords, um, employers, if they're giving people a hard time about missing work. And then we also help, um, and this is for like direct family members or someone who's been shot, is we can help with rental assistance. So sometimes once you've been shot, you can't work again. Yeah, you need time to recover. We have a lot of people who um, are going to be on permanent disability in this community, and people aren't thinking about that. So we hear yeah. about all the homicides, but um, we just had a girl who was shot six times. And thankfully, 
you know, she lived, but she's not going to be able to work in the capacity she is. So we helped um, advocate with her, with her doctors, get her on Social Security, put her in a hotel um, mm. to make sure she was safe. Yeah. Um, so a lot of different things. Rental and rental assistance could be for parents. You know, if mm-hmm. your kids are shot and you're spending your time in the hospital or you just lost a family member, like a child or a spouse or a sibling to gun violence, and you're getting behind on your bills because you're missing work, then we can help out there, too. So, so. you... With respect, you're the middleman. Yes. You're there to help people in the times of need. So let me ask you, Becky, the individual, what is your why? What pushes you to do this every day? What pushes you to put yourself in these situations where people need the voice? Like what? Because in the bio you sent me, you said you never saw yourself being CEO, no. being a head of a business. You skipped every business class you could think about, <laughs> I right? I hate business. In fact, <laughs> I can do it and do it well, but it's not what I like spending my time doing. <laughs> So this is something you never saw yourself doing, right? Right. But here you are being a passionate, vocal leader for the community, somebody that's giving voices to people that don't have it. Why? I just feel it's just a calling. Like, people thought I was crazy when I went to PCAV. They'd never had funding before. They had $1,300 in the bank and couldn't pay me for the first two months. Really? So eventually I got reimbursed, but I knew they had this <laughs> grant in line, right? Yeah. But they needed someone with knowledge to understand, like, the SAMs and the GATA and all the crazy stuff that goes along with federal funding and contracts and fiscal agents. And I knew I had the skills to get it going. And right now we're looking at, for 18 months, about $600,000. But we need more because, you know, a good case management level is about 15 per individual. And since June, we've had 230 people come through our doors. And right now it's just three people. And I'm also responsible as the CEO for HR, finance, marketing, social media. So I do still need to run that business. So I'm about 50-50 with case management. Um, But we could easily use 10 case managers. Um, How can we as a community help and support PCAP and just everything that you do? Well, um, we can always use donations Mm -hmm. because a lot of that money goes directly back to our clients. So we're one of the few organizations in town that actually, you know, will pay for rental assistance or, you know, clothing, toiletries, um, put people in a hotel. And we have served so many people that our 18-month grant, we're in month five and we're almost out of finances for those services. And we've already out exceeded our metrics for amount of people served. Okay. So we need help. Yeah. So there's, you know, and then a lot of ways, I mean, um, volunteering for other organizations, you know, Big Brothers, Big Sisters, they have a long line of kids who need someone to believe in them and their yeah. potential or CASA volunteers. So one of the things I thought about posting, I'm trying to figure out how to craft this, is since I've been in this position, um, I've seen children who have died that have been um, clients of Big Brothers, Big Sisters, CASA, Children's Home, Neighborhood House, Friendship House. So there's a reason, if you support those organizations, there's a reason to support what we're doing and being concerned about the community. Um, the community at large. <laughs> yeah. That's. And these kids are amazing. Like, they're so smart. And we laugh. And I probably shouldn't laugh with them about, it's bad, when they're stealing cars. But I'm always like, how did you know to knock off the mirror on this certain car? Cause I, <laughs> and they're like, you too, Becky. They're, you know, they're like, I'm old. but Hood metrics. That's what I call it. It's hood metrics. Hood we me- learn things. <laughs> That's funny. We learn things when you pick them up. How you pick them up. We don't ask questions. Um... <laughs> well, I drive a stick shift. And Nora's like, will you teach us how? I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> don't get wrapped in that one, Becky. That's <laughs> That's what we call an okie doke. Um, <laughs> that's funny. This, uh, the thing you just said there, that struck with me. How 
some of the children in Big Brother Big Sister are end up becoming victims of violence. Yeah. And you see it. Like I've had moments in my life I taught Sunday school back when I was growing up in, in Chicago and I saw some of them go to the gang life and you see them lose the light. Have you had moments where you've been able to bring somebody back? You see them fading and then you grab them before the streets get them. Honestly, I, I can't say that. I mean, a lot of the parents, absolutely. Like, you know, I was just talking to a man who was like, you know, I used to be in this life. He's lost two sons and he, but he, you know, he has a legit job and he's really trying to make a go of it. And he wishes he would have been on this path earlier. Mm -hmm. Now with my kids, and this is what I tell everyone, like, I love the kids I work with, but I may not see them a whole lot because I have so many clients, right? Yeah, you're, you or, have a lot on your plate. Or if they go with me, I, you know, on I spent like three hours with one, only one kid out of all the kids we served on, on a Saturday. But I'm not there with him the rest of the time. And there's peer pressure and there's, you know, lack of resources and a million other things he's dealing with. So I tell my kids to, <laughs> you know, be good. But at the end of the day, I mean... I can't, it's just a hard expectation for them to, knowing everything that they deal with. How do you deal with the uh, the mental aspect of this job? Because you do see a lot of negativity. You see a lot of things that most people are, aren't privy to or choose not to be. Yeah. Uh, let's be honest, a lot of us put blinders on and we don't, we choose not to see what's happening. We say, la -di -da, life is what a life is. But how do you deal with that? It's got to be a lot. It is a lot. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know that I'm necessarily... Dealing, I ask all the questions. Dealing with it well. <laughs> well, oddly enough, um, something I've um, consulted with and done presentations throughout the state on is vicarious trauma. And what Ooh, what that is, is vicarious trauma? So it's vicarious or secondary trauma. And what it is is when you're exposed to so much trauma, even if it's other people's, um, so social workers, police, um, state's attorneys, you are kind of predisposed to this. And it can turn into actual PTSD if you don't take care of it. So I have the tools in my tool belt. Now, I can't say I'm always the best because the problem is with the constant shootings, whether it's us or the police or the coroner's office, there's no reprieve. You know, I talked to yeah. Jamie, Jamie Harwood is someone you should talk to. He's amazing. The coroner. Jamie Harwood, okay. And, you know, I was talking to him on scene, like, in July, it never fails. We'll have, like, three in a week. And he was telling me, like, he had a heart monitor on. He's like, oh, this is, this is a lot, right? Yeah. I mean, I can tell the stress is definitely affecting me. Um, I do go to counseling. I do the things I need to do, but... It's still a lot, and I can't even imagine. So I get to go home at night, and, and I feel safe, right? Yeah. And I know that my kids, some of my kids do homework in bathtubs because of stray bullets, right? They, there is never a time where they can just relax. No. And I can't imagine how this affects the community. So the 13- and 14-year-old I was talking about, they watched their mom's fiancé die in front of them. He got shot, came to the door. Then their uncle died on Valentine's Day in 2021, and then their 16-year-old brother was shot, and then they shot up their house, too. So, I mean, this is what I'm seeing with the kids, and everybody's yeah. like, why are these kids stealing cars? I'm like, you're lucky they're not doing worse, right? But if you talk to the police, especially there's an analyst, and he said, if we can get catch the kids when they're truant, because he said it starts with truancy, then shoplifting, then, you know, car theft, and then pulling the trigger. Yeah. So that we need more people to work back here, but the problem is a lot of my kids have nowhere to go because they're considered so bad, if you will. At risk is the term thank nowadays. You. Yeah. They're at I look risk. at that. Whenever someone says at risk, I'm like, shut up. Right? Because it's, these kids need the most help. Like if you want to make a true impact, these are the kids we need to work with, but they're getting kicked out of every program. And part of it I understand 
because they have a target on their back, some of them do, it puts the other kids at risk. But still, I mean, they're not allowed to go to school. They're expected to do online learning. And a lot of the parents are like, I can't help with this online learning, you know, because they have to work, too. I mean, I struggle with that during COVID. It, so, I mean, it's just maybe I'm misguiding this. I'm sorry for the interruption, but it sounds like psych- psychological prison before a prison sentence. 100 percent. Am I I'm, I'm on this? Because yes, it mean, feels like we're isolating you, creating a character in a way, creating your path for you. We push you away from society. We push you away until you feel like your back is against the wall and you're lashing out. Right. You got to do what you got to do to survive. And, and connections are the most important thing. So when older people who are doing illegal things in the community come along and treat the kids well, buy them nice shoes, take them to dinner, show them the kind of life they could be living. Yeah. You know, some of the kids are choosing that that way, but no one else is reaching out to say, hey, you know come with us i mean we do have Hmm. some of the ones in the community but we don't have enough that's that pisses me off i'll (laughs) I'll be honest because it feels like the society we are currently in and this is from you know i've had friends in life friends pass away from life friends that are still in prison and 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 i've grown up i've seen it and i just feel like our society creates a little pocket and then we just add people there Yep. People that we deem aren't socially acceptable, that don't fit our clean cut or cookie images. Ah, you're over there. You're problematic. Right. Ah, you're here. Ah, instead of taking them down, understanding, okay, what's with the outlash? What's with the aggression? Like, what's going on? Get to the root. I mean, if you're constantly in defense when you're everyday single life, you go into the corner store, you might get shot at. Of course, you're going to be aggressive. Right. One of my kids, because I keep track of everybody on Facebook. Yeah. And the other day he he posted, I got to stay strapped so I don't get clapped. And that just breaks my heart. He's 14 years old and he is, he's funny. (laughs) He's just this great kid. And I'm mad that I chuckled at that because I'm like, I've heard that in a rap song. Yeah, but, well, and it's funny because I let them listen to whatever in my car, which I probably shouldn't, but I just want to know what they're listening to. And, and a lot of people, and I realize music can influence them, but to me, the songs they're listening to are completely relatable because that's the life they're in. It's not a life they chose. It's it's what they're dealing with. It is an interesting conversation with that because it's something I struggle with. I mean, I work in media. I work in yeah. radio. I, I consume a lot of music. But my thought process is our music is a reflection of the current society. It's a mirror. So if we're putting out violence, why is that? What are we talking about? Right. What are we seeing on daily? What are we conditioning our youth to aspire to or... What are they seeing on day out, day out? You're talking about a kid doing homework in a bathtub and hearing gunshots. Yeah. Or they see their stepfather get shot on the front stoop. And that's it's the norm for a lot of our families. Yeah. You know, our cars backfire and I see kids hit the ground. And sometimes, you know, the parents, not all the parents, I love my parents, but some would be like, oh, my kid's dramatic. But for me, I'm seeing that this is a PTSD reaction because they've been exposed to a lot of gun violence. On the flip, the parents are just conditioned. It's a norm. Be like, it's eh, norm, right? Just dust it off, walk off. No, it's trauma. Well, one of I laugh because one of the ladies, I was sitting with her and her sister after the houses got shot up. And I'm getting them into a hotel and I'm there while they're packing. And I'm drinking lemonade and we're going through the paperwork and... Um, She's like, you look a little stressed. You want some tequila and your lemonade? <laughs> Who says it ain't there right now? <laughs> I'm like, you might be my new best friend, but can we just get out of here? <laughs> so tequila and therapy, that's how we yeah, get through. Yeah, I like I, it. I think it is. I think it is. I'm like, they seem to be just fine. But again, just kind of norm, right? Yeah. So. 
it's almost disheartening, but on the flip, it's a yin and yang to see and hear stories of people like yourself. To hear Kendall and then uh, Hetty, which I definitely want to get She's to her. Amazing. Carl also. Carl Hallway. Name. Carl Hallway. There's a few other names I have in my phone that are doing things for youth. And I'm like, ooh, there's a lot of bad, but there's still that big nugget of good that's helping the community. Yeah. Trey Thompson's another one. He Trey Thompson, okay. I he's great. He's like 23 years old, mm-hmm. and I don't want to mess up his story, but essentially he was doing some stuff he shouldn't have been, and I think one of his friends got shot, and he was like, "Nope." And now he has his own business, and then he just wraps his arms around these kids and he takes them with him, and and he just posted not too long ago about a kid he took to Canton, mm-hmm. and the kid was just like, "You hear that? Like there was you know no gunshots. It was quiet. Just." That was a new thing for these kids, and people just don't understand that. There's some people in certain communities that have never heard a gunshot. Right. And there's others in other communities who a day without is a blessing. <laughs> well, and it's so sad, and that's one of the things. I remember talking to some of my staff. I'd be like, hey, what'd you, they'd ask me what I did for the weekend. And I'd say, what'd you do for the weekend? And they're like, well, we really didn't go out because there's a lot of gunfire. Yeah. And I couldn't even imagine. I mean, you know, people I cared about, people who had worked at Neighborhood House for 20-plus years, lived on the south end. and Yeah, it's – yeah, that's a lot. And then going back to what you were talking about with with prison and kind of putting people in categories. So I was on the school board, um, not here, but at, where my kids went to school, and I learned at a conference that prisons are built based off third-grade reading levels because how you do in school kind of determines the trajectory trajectory of whether or not you may end up in prison and there were so many schools under underfunded under underperforming underfunded i mean at neighborhood house we had kids in third grade that that couldn't read and they just kept getting passed and the crazy thing is a few different um we had some great volunteer groups and we had kids coming from different schools and it wasn't all the same curriculum and there's like a at the time, there's like a 25% transient rate. So these kids bounced around so much, they might pop in one school, be way ahead, and pop in another one and have never seen the stuff ever before. Mm. So we're not setting the kids up for success in a lot of different ways. And, you know, education is huge to getting out of that cycle of poverty. That's a lot. I'm trying to think of the next best way to take this interview, but it's just like, I, I have a strong belief that it begins in that young, early stages. The conditioning, the welcoming with love, and hey, the world is crappy, but at the same time, there are people that give a crap about you, that really want you to excel, and I'm trying to find where that divide is, and I feel like we just have more questions upon questions. That's kind of where I am. I have a lot of questions myself. And who do we ask these questions to? I talk to the people I work with a lot. I mean, they provide the best insight, because, you know, there's always these people surmising, who, you know, I've said on a couple of panels, and I was very, I got very angry because they were talking about some of my moms. You know, their kids are stealing cars and doing this and that, and where's where are the moms at? The moms are working. like Three jobs. Right? Three jobs. One mom went back, got her GED, got all these certifications, so she was in management, but that meant she had to work till 7 p.m. Yeah. So her kids were out doing some stuff they shouldn't have been. You get the latchkey kids. I yeah. was a latchkey kid, and hmm. my kids are, I'm a single mom, my kids were latchkey kids, but... But I have a village around me. I have a lot of other friends and single moms who would help help me, right? Hmm. Um, but a lot of what I'm finding is a lot of the people I work with, they don't really have that built-in support network. Or everyone who's in their support network are, are all in the same, having the same issues they are, right? So 
one of the things I'm working on is we're going to do a big training in January. Rotary wrote a grant. We're getting some trauma supplies for, like, the moms. Nice. Um, but kind of connect them almost like a big brother. Like, I know there's some parent mentoring things. Um, because now some of my families that I work with, they'll just call me for regular things that they just don't know. You know, I'm trying to think, like, you know, not just about resources, but, hey, I'm having a hard time at work. How would you handle the situation? Oh, like a mentorship program. Yeah. It's cool. So I know, but we don't want to replicate anything. We just want to make sure we're adding to what's not, where the gaps are. You're the friends to the community. Yeah. The friend that may know a few things. Yeah. And if we don't know, <laughs> we know some people who do. Exactly. But, but like Family Corps has a great single parent program. And there's just so many resources in this community. Hmm. Okay. Uh, where can people go? Because I know I think I'm running up on your time now. Uh, where can people go to look for information, uh, participate give funds or sign up for participation. All right. So we do have a website. It's puricommunityagainstviolence.org. And then we also have a Facebook page. Um, same thing. Facebook page, we post a lot of what's going on in the community, where to get resources. Like today, we just posted that PCCO's LIHEAP just came back open. Ooh, okay. So they ran out of money for a month. And a lot of our families are without utilities right now because they're so expensive. Can you break that down real quick? The PC... Yeah. PCCEO. Mm-hmm. So it's the Community Action Agency in Peoria. Okay. Um, and they do a lot with utilities. But September 1st, I think they were out within a couple of weeks. But now it's back. Really? Okay, then, good, good. And then the township's going to open up theirs on December 1st and 2nd. So pretty much we're just putting information up there for the community to access when employers are having um, job fairs, whatever, whatever we think would help our community. Okay, so check out the Facebook and the, uh, the website for sure. Yep. Uh, if you have any inkling to want to help, please reach out. Do something. Um, we need a lot of help. Yes, we do. I feel like 45 minutes went by way too quick with you. <laughs> I may have to have you back out. <laughs> I may have to have you back out because I'm really loving the conversation about this. I'm and- until 2.30. Oh, 2.30? That's up to you. Well, we got about 10 minutes left then. <laughs> All right. What's something you want to talk about? Something on your mind that you feel will be good for the community to know before we head out? I really think a lot of it just comes down to volunteering. I mean, time is more important. Well, as organizations, we all need money, but time is equally important. What are some areas you really need? I mean, besides everything, but what are some key vital areas you need um, volunteer work in? So for volunteer work, actually, we could use admin, but also working um, working with some of our families. So, you know, we initially start off in the crisis phase. And we try to get them out of that. And then we start looking, working on long-term stability. So yesterday we had a mom in and we were talking to her about Busey Bank because she's paying, I think, t- over $1,000 in rent oh. for a two- or three-bedroom house. Um, Where? East Bluff. Really? I feel like that's downtown Chicago prices. Oh, it, it's And just, I keep saying that because this is my reference. Yeah, I right? just moved here. And I remember I paid about 1000 and I was in the Bridgeport area. Yeah. And that's... It's crazy. So, like, police response time is two minutes, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so, that's why $1,000, the price tag makes kind of sense, you know? That, well, that does make sense. But, um, yeah, so we were talking to her about Busey Bank and a couple others in town have these programs where you don't have to have the best credit score, mm. but they're going to help you um, improve your credit score while they help you get a house. That's good. And home ownership's really important because I don't know if you've seen mm. for the last several years, Peoria has been on the list of top 10 worst cities for African Americans. And it has to do with education, inequity, inequitable education, home ownership, and employment. 
Interesting. Okay. So, I mean, getting people jobs and stable housing are really the keys to moving forward. And we do have a lot of people, I guess, going back to that, that are doing really well. You know, working on, I have one right now who's working on a master's degree while she's working full time. Um, really? Yeah. So nice. I, I think there's just a lot of stereotyping about the people okay. that we work with, unfortunately. But it's people trying their best and, you know, just doing what they can. I think the one letter I would love to point out in PCAV is the C. Community. Yes. Absolutely. We need more of that. We do. We need to help each other out more. There needs to eliminate this whatever divide is, whether it's racial, whether it's fear, whether it's just misunderstanding, however you want to call it. Eliminate it. It's time. I mean, we are now 2022 going to 2023. It's time. Yeah. Let's flip this. Let's be a community. Let's bring back the communal focus of just helping your brother, sister out. You know? Absolutely. All right. This is a good conversation. It's a I great like conversation. It. <laughs> We're going to have to do this again. Uh, yes. I feel like you have a lot more stories I could get to. <laughs> we might have to do it on Saturday. Um, this has been another episode of KZ's Community Beat. I'm Ross Martinez. This my amazing guest, Becky Rossum of PCAV, Peoria Community Against Violence. Before we leave, anything last second things you want to put out there? No, just thanks for having me on, and I look forward to seeing you again. No, thank you <laughs> for the audio. No. <laughs> All right, thank you so much. Uh, go back and listen to more episodes. Okay, bye.